Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the PGA DraftCast brought to you by WinDailySports.com. Just a quick reminder that WinDaily Sports doesn't just cover golf. They cover the NFL, the NHL, MLB, NBA, soccer, MMA, NASCAR, you name the sport. WinDaily Sports has projection models, optimizers, articles, and our famous Discord chat to cover it all. Now, if you click the promo link below and you type in Win Big or Green, you will get one week free of WinDaily. And then after that, it is just $5.99 per week for all of that, including some of our betting content. Now, let's get to the PGA DraftCast, where we have proven track records with Joel, Spencer, David, and myself. Let's have some fun. Get in the chat. Make sure you subscribe to the page, and make sure you hit the like button. Let's do this snake draft. Let's do the PGA DraftCast. Let's do it right now. PGA Nation! We are back and we are coming off another hot major week a ton of fun last week was it lived up to the hype the course was cool i disagree with the haters online about the day one they were saying it was too easy we came around to it obviously it wasn't as easy as it was day one throughout the rest of the weekend uh it was a really exciting finish Wyndham clark played you know i really i was telling my dad he really won the tournament you know there was a lot of times down the stretch, he could have blown it. And he went out and made great shot after great shot and won the tournament. He deserves it. He played great. Of course, our very own tipped him off, David Bileski. Another hot streak he is on, dipping off two above 66 to 1 to 61 and 75 to 1 back-to-back weeks, which is absolutely outstanding. I, of course, almost took down the Millie Maker, got fourth place, was very close. The only difference between my lineup and the Millie Maker Winner was Bryson DeChambeau and Harris English. So it was a successful week. But we got another one coming right up here at the Travelers. They're heading out to Connecticut. This is a, a pretty fun, interesting course, at least to handicap from that perspective. TPC River Highlands, we've seen some results here before. One of my biggest fa- – the two biggest factors for me are driving accuracy. We want guys that are going to be in fairways. And – I like course history here. I mean, it does kind of be a little bit showing if you've had success here in the past, um, there's a good chance that you'll, you might find success here again. The biggest thing I'm leaning on this week is what's different from major week is that you, you can't really dip down too far into the 6K range in major weeks because those guys just typically don't rise to the top of the leaderboard. Whereas I think there's some interesting cheaper options this week that we might be able to get to. But I digress. Before we dive in, see, how you doing tonight? Well, I'm good, but I'm just not sure if Spencer's doing well because he had Wyndham Clark last week too, and you completely left him out of the conversation. Spencer, are you okay? No, I mean, that's like stabbing me in the back in the first five minutes of the show. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, I, I, I came in and I looked at the draft order and I wasn't first, so I, I ignored you, Spencer, <laughs> for the remainder of the show. Hey, I will say this, though, uh, Spencer, before you talk about that, listen, we, we've been kind of on fire on this show too. our lineups. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Our lineups were all really good. And again, I, I think that sort of plays well to what this show is. For those of you that are listening, for those of you that are new, because it's a snake draft and because if a chalky guy gets taken, the other three can't take them. It just promotes a, a sort of team roster construction that's going to be different than your regular roster construction if you're just sitting on your phone drafting your lineup so keep that in mind when you're watching the draft cast like you get some unique lineups here and unique lineups are probably what what would have gotten you to the pay window uh last week in dfs so it's just something to consider but 
I'm doing well. I'm glad everybody like, listen, Spencer, you've been on, like, you've been great in DFS. And then you hit the Wyndham Clark uh, 100 to one. David Bielewski hits the Wyndham Clark after hitting Nick Taylor at 66 to one. I hit a first round leader in Xander Shoffley. Like we're all just kind of like kind of crushing it right now. And Joel, you know, it's funny, Joel, you were almost a millionaire. You, you were in fourth in the Millie Maker, as you said. And I was I was about to come on this show and lament the fact that I won some money last week in DFS, but I would have won like six to $800 more if Ricky Fowler didn't just continuously bogey, including the last putt cost me like 600 bucks, the, the last bogey on 18. And I was just going to be like, you know, the guy that's like bitching about that. And meanwhile, you were like literally four points away from being a, a you're probably already a millionaire with all your other wins but let's not get into that but you were super close man it's not the first time you've been super close so that's really cool yeah it was definitely an exciting finish um there was a learnings right especially when the, what tournaments you play how you attack them for me like this week my lineup was pretty popular i mean it was tied with a few people a lot of people played it but that doesn't mean like it was good it was the guys that played really well. And so that doesn't mean you want to get scared off from playing those good players because they were popular, right? I think especially more so in majors when we know the kind of creme rise to the top and you kind of have to – there's only certain many guys that I think are playable in these events. Yeah. So that happened. I'm, 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 I'm happy with how it came out, my strategy. Hopefully one day soon I'll be able to actually take one down. Spence, how are you feeling tonight? I'm doing well. And kind of as Sia was saying, we've talked about at the beginning of the show, like the lineups were really good last week. Um, you get one of those weird things to where there's certain players. Like if you look at my lineup specifically, Rory Scheffler, Wyndham, I was going to take Ricky Fowler also. And all of a sudden there's the top four there. And then legitimately you have a chance like that lineup could have won the millionaire maker if things go right in that portion of it. But uh, David was six to six on his lineup. Some guy named Draftmaster Flex. I think that's his name. He was also 6-6 six six with his lineup. So uh, there was a lot of good on this show with the picks that we made. Yeah, and, and we've said this before. We're ready to get You do tend to get in a hot streak where the guys that you like, the guys that you're seeing over a course of a period, are continually showing up. And we're in that right now. The hot streak's on. It's time to ride it. Make some money with us. We're not going to make you wait too long. Let's get right into it. Let's first hear Spence, the course breakdown this week. We've seen some tournaments here. It is a pretty unique course from a betting and, and breakdown standpoint. So tell us what you're looking for this week. I think there's more ways that you can look at this course than I guess some people would give an answer to for it. So you look at the yards on the scorecard, 6,841 yards, give or take, par 70. You get this mixed texture on these greens. Um you know, on the surface, I think any time that you get a measurement that that's small and you get these smaller than average greens, that would tell a story of short game prowess and mid iron play coming to the forefront of the discussion. I do think that will be important when traversing the data. Uh, although the one thing that really caught my eye is that the off the tee metrics were actually the ones that took center stage in the increase that they received from a regular stop on tour. Uh, 15.3% to 18.3% was the difference in the dispersion of scoring. I think you can make an argument of how you want to go about this. I think accuracy is important. Anytime you have these tree line, strategical peat die courses, you obviously want to be in the fairway. I think like if you're wayward and all of a sudden you're in like the trees, you have a problem here, but we've seen players with distance find success. I think if you can be long and straight, 
that is a really advantageous way to get yourself into these shorter looks into these greens, but it kind of goes back to any of these shorter venues. Like even if your distance declined on the scale, you can still take advantage of the course. If your mid iron statistics pop over four rounds, and then that's obviously going to go with the ability that you're locating a lot of fairways. So that's players like Russell Henley and Brian Harmon. And, you know, those are the golfers that see a boost here that might not necessarily at a course that's longer. So to recap, we want guys who are long, straight, and get it in the hole unless swings. Pretty much. Okay. All right. That's, <laughs> that's a good recap. All right. Well, without further ado, let's dive into the draft. The order tonight, I'm going to pull up the draft board while I'm doing so. Um, the order tonight is going to be Spence as a reward for me not giving him his cookies for his great outright hit this week. I am going second. See a third. Audience, you will be going fourth. As always, you get the snake wrap where you get two in a row. If you are new tonight, which most of you, I'm sure, have seen the show before, but in case you have not, the way it works is you do have to pick a real DraftKings lineup. So what that means is you cannot just pick all the best players. You have to draft in a way that ensures that you can actually afford the lineup on DraftKings. Without further ado, Spence, you're on the clock. So I will say, Joel, I did earn this one myself here. There's a lot of wins that you've had recently, but it felt nice to get back into the winner's circle being in this number one spot is I think the advantageous way that you want to be on this show. It's I, I think that like when you had your run, Joel, and when I had my run, like when you get the start lineups the way that you want, there's a big advantage here when players get taken off the board. And there's one golfer for me, and I kind of have made this argument from the very start of this week on any podcast or article that I've written that I think is arguably the best player in this tournament for this course. And that's not even necessarily Scotty Scheffler here. I love the way that Patrick Cantlay sets up for this venue. Number one in my model for total driving. He's number two for me in the strokes gain putting on this specific surface. That's something that Scotty has not been able to add recently. Obviously the T to green numbers that he's put together are Tiger Woods like, but um, one of the things that I love about Cantlay beyond anything else, it comes down to his proximity numbers. That's been somewhere he has struggled. It's kind of been hit and miss for him in some of these spots. I think when you put him at this specific course here, he sees a 23 spot increase in my model when looking at the weighted proximity for TPC River Highlands versus any generic course on tour. Five consecutive top 15 finishes. I think the safety's there, the upside's there. And the one thing I want to note for anybody out there that's like, oh, well, you know, he hasn't necessarily provided a top 10 in any of those finishes. If you look at what he did last year, he was the overnight leader going into Saturday before he shot a terrible 76 to plummet himself down the leaderboard there. So I think Cantlay has legitimate win equity, legitimate safety. And for me, he's the safest route to start lineups at his price tag. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with that pick. It's funny though, what, what Spencer sort of noted with like, listen, five in a row at top 15s here. But then you, it begs the question, well, it's Patrick Cantlay. So is it elite to have five in a row top 15s if none of them are top 10s? But you know what? To your point, Spencer, I'm not so sure it matters. Like when we actually consider the margins between like, you know, typically, I mean, listen, 15th isn't great for a Patrick Cantlay, but the margins between like 11th and third are usually like a back nine on Sunday. And so it's just one of those things where you could make the argument if you wanted to that like, oh, well, that means Cantlay can't close, but he's kind of proven he, he can close in the past. So 
Um, I don't mind the pick. I, I, you know, if I was in the first overall pick, Joel, I wanted to ask you, well, it's your pick. So let, let, before, like, instead of just giving my opinion, why don't you give us your pick and tell us whether you would have taken Cantley ahead of the person you're taking now? I wouldn't have. I can't believe that you didn't just give me the first pick because you knew who I was going to take. It's Scotty. Yeah, I'm going to take has five top five finishes in a row on the PGA Tour this year. And he's just playing so well. If he makes a few putts, he's going to win the tournament. And his ball striking, tee to green numbers, like you said, they're Tiger Woods esque. They're so absurd right now. The like worst case scenario is like what? Okay, fine. Maybe he gets eighth, but in a like like in a small field in a four person cash game type of style, that's gonna be great. That's gonna be good. There's I almost can't see a scenario where Scotty Scheffler does not help your lineup this week. Yeah, it's interesting because you know it's so discouraging watching Scotty Scheffler putt sometimes. Like you watch him, particularly on the back nine, where he was really being featured because he was kind of you know in the conversation among. Ricky Wyndham and Rory at the U S open. And like every putt was not close. Like I honestly think the three of us could have potentially putted at least similarly to Scheffler down the stretch of that tournament. I know that sounds ridiculous to people, but like the putts were pretty bad, but to your point, he doesn't always putt bad and his ball striking is always good. T to green. He is a monster. I wonder Spencer, do you think that's going to regress anytime soon? And it's, this is an impossible question. Or do you think like we can just kind of count on Scotty being this TD Green monster? Like when I say it's Tiger Woods esque, like we, I'm legitimately meaning that this is like top five historical production from a TD Green perspective of what he's putting together. Naturally, he has to regress at some point. It doesn't mean that he's going to regress for this contest, but nobody, like, not even Tiger Woods was this level of sustain and Tiger Woods is the greatest golfer ever. It has to come back ever so slightly for him. Um, I obviously worry about the flat stick. It's been so bad here all the time. And I don't think he's necessarily going to burn lineups to the ground. He's not doing that. He's top 15 of every single tournament that he plays, but I know he's going to be popular. I know he's the most expensive player on the board. I, I, do believe that there's a legitimate opportunity to try to play other players around him. And, and Cantley's not the only answer to that. There's other golfers on this board that I find to be unique contrarian pivots to consider also. But I mean, at some point you have to worry that like, does Scheffler just mentally combust that mm -hmm. he keeps, he, he could have won every single tournament this year. If he was just a neutral putter, it's historic what he's putting together you have to worry at some point, like it just, he, he mentally falls apart. Yeah. Although he isn't really the, like, he seems like the personality type that like doesn't fall apart. Like he's so nonchalant after every shot. It's just, he's just like, it's a walk in the park for him. But I agree with you at some point, the T to green is going to regress. It kind of has to, um, you just wonder if, if, and when that happens, does the putter actually sort of fix itself? Because if that's the case, then he, he's really going to go on, on a, on a dominant streak here. So Spencer, you mentioned some of the guys in audience, you can start nominating right now because I'll go ahead and give my pick out. You mentioned some of the guys that you like maybe in the Patrick Cantley ilk. So I'm going to go to you after I make this pick just to see if maybe this was one of the guys on your radar, maybe not. Uh, but I'm going to go with Victor Hovland at 9,900. Um, the approach play has been a little spotty over the last couple of tournaments, but you know, Victor Hovland's a superstar at this point. I think we can count on ball striking for him more often than not. 
Uh, off the tee's been good. The putter's actually been really good. And the short game hasn't been bad either. He just seems like a pretty good course fit here. I think he's going to keep it in the fairway. I think he is going to be dialed in on his approaches. And if the putter stays hot, I'm, I'm going to be very happy with this pick. I'll note, he's played here twice. And the latest time, he played in 2019, but in 2020, he was T11. But he led the field T to green that year. He lost 3.3 strokes with the putter. So I, I think it just lends itself to the, to why I think he's such a good course fit other than the obvious, because he's done it here before as well. Uh, T to green. So uh, I'm a fan of Victor Hamill. We know he can close. We're talking about closing with Patrick Cantlay. And, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. If Rory comes up and Xander Shoffley, Victor Hovland just closed at the Memorial. I mean, it was just a few weeks ago. So I, I think he's in a nice little zone right now. I, I don't think we're getting a discount at 9,900, but I'll say this. It looks like we're getting an ownership discount to some degree. And we'll wait for Stephen Pilardi's article, Sicily kid who's in the chat right now. Um, you know, that's going to come out tomorrow, but I don't think Victor Hovland's going to have super high ownership. I think he's going to be lower than, than most of the people above him and a few of the people below him. So, uh, that's what I'm going with audience. If you already have your two guys, go ahead and put them in the chat, but Spencer, I want to go to you. How are you feeling about Victor Hovland this week? You know, see, we're splitting hairs here when we're talking about Victor Hovland and up. Those six golfers are within the top six of my model in every single iteration of how I ran things. I. I like what you said about the ownership discount that I think that you're going to get also. Um, that was not the golfer I was talking about to the one that I think is an interesting pivot away from Scotty Scheffler. But I, I have absolutely no issues with Hovland. And the other thing that I will add to it, he sees positive upside on these specific green types. And this is a golfer that his putting has already looked great over these past couple months. You know, all of a sudden now you put him on a green complex that he might even like more. Like that's how you take a ball striker. Who's one of the best ball strikers in the world. And then he makes a few more putts than he normally makes. That's the recipe for how you win a golf tournament. Yeah. Joel, your thoughts on Hovland. Is he in or out or your player pool? In. I like Hovland a lot. This week. The one small concern would be that this is a challenging course around the green. And you know, that's been his biggest weakness, but he's shown a lot of improvement in that recently. And if that's yeah. something that he can show he sustained, then he might just end up being one of the next, big four or five guys that's just consistently in the top 10 every week. And he's starting to show that this year. And I, I think that continues. So I like the pick, especially under 10 K. All right. Well, we've got the pick, the two picks from the audience already. Uh, Byron has, a, has some commentary, at, at least about one of them, uh, because one of them is very chalky, but listen, he's, he's a, he's a good pick at least just on the surface. And I'm going to start with Russell Henley there. The second one is Hideki Matsuyama. So I'll just say a couple of words about each of them and then I'll kick it to you guys before I give my next pick. But Russell Henley obviously grades out really, really well. I mean, it's just, you know, whether you're looking at tee to green or approach, even off the tee, uh, he's just checks every box. And we, we see that with the metrics, but the finishing positions are there too. So he's going to be one of the most popular guys on the slate. He's 7,800, which means he's in the 7K range. And we know that 7K chalk typically fails it's the wind daily sports if you're in our discord and if you were in our discord four or five years ago we called it rule 17 for no particular reason whatsoever and it's just that 7k chalk you you want to be really really careful about it you want to make sure there's no pivots around that 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 you you don't want to go to because listen justin rose last week i was guilty of it too i like justin rose last week too what was he 7700 instead of 78 low 7k range mito Pereira. i liked him too i played him a little bit too uh, he, I mean, he missed the cut like on the number. So did Rose, by the way, uh, or maybe actually Rose by two strokes when it was all said and done. But 
The point is, just be really careful when you play them in tournaments. Hideki, I like for a couple reasons. One is because he rates out really well. Great on approach. Uh, the, the, the ball striking, all of it has really been coming back over the last few tournaments. I guess he's shaking off that neck injury. And also 8,600 is really low for him, but the ownership isn't super high on him. So I feel like, you know, I thought he would be closer to like 18, 19%. What I'm looking at right now, and it's still relatively early, is around 13, 14%, which I think is totally reasonable for Hideki. So Joel, I'm going to go to you first. Are you on either of these two guys? And are you afraid of the Russell Henley ownership? No, no. I, I like both plays. I think Hideki at 8,600 has an has upside, you know, as a good alternative to some of these guys in the 9, 10K range um, with, with equal upside. And Henley, yeah, I mean, the, the ownership is not ideal, but the results are there. And like, you need to find 7K value. And he seems like a really good fit in the 7K range to give you value. The only counter to that, I will say, is there are some other guys in the 7K range, like last week, that I also like. And if the if all things are relatively equal, then yes, I will choose ownership and go somewhere else. But I'm also going to have some shares of, of Henley this week as well. Joel, yes or no on each before I give my pick out? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Spencer, yes or no on each? My bad. Probably, definitely yes to Hideki, but probably yes to Russell Henley also. Like, I know at some point the ownership has to come into play and it matters. And maybe from specific builds, you don't want to have if it gets too chalky in certain areas and in different contests, you might not want to have them. But like he's 10th for me in my model this week. You don't really see that big of deviations for Russell Henley. It really liked them last week for the US Open. I think this is a better course fit for him for all the obvious accuracy reasons. Um, I, I mean, I'm not guaranteed to play him, but I'm not going to talk anybody out of him either because I, I think I can understand why everybody wants to go that direction. He's the most mispriced player in my model of like that 7,800 and up territory that we're talking about this week, which is a very similar answer that I would have given for Ricky Fowler last week. Like they're just mispriced players. Yeah, no, it's true. It's, it's absolutely true. So just consider Listen, um, you know, we had degenerate 75 on this show. What was it two weeks ago? Was it for the Memorial? I'm trying to remember. Was that, was that when we had him on when the Victor Hobbleman, I'm not sure, but the point is, you know, he'll always say on his show, uh, whether it's the showdown, hoedown or, or whatever it is like, you can play chalk, just know what you're doing when you're playing chalk and make sure you're, at least getting, I mean, he would probably say don't play Russell Henley, but I'm sure, you know, I know he plays chalk too. And it's just one of the, and I'm only deferring to him because he was just on this show and and he talks about, you know, chalk quite a bit. You can play chalk sometimes. Just make sure you're different in other places because you know 30% of the field is probably going to be going with you on Russell Henley. All right, so I'm going to do something a little different. I thought I was going to go with like an upper crust player, a 10K or above player. I'm going to stay in the 9K range and I'm going to go with, the guy that splashed onto the scene with Victor Hovland and Matthew Wolf, remember him? Uh, and it's going to be Colin Morikawa. Colin Morikawa at 9,500. I don't think I'm getting a steal necessarily from a price standpoint, but I do think we're getting Colin Morikawa on the upswing in a pretty big way. And I could be wrong. It could. It's a small sample size, but it does appear that the ball striking and the approach and all of those things that seem to be somewhat broken are back for Colin Morikawa. And if he can get hot with the putter, which – at the Travelers, there have been some bad putters that have gotten hot here. Um, I, I think this is a nice start for me, Victor Hovland and Colin Morikawa. We're looking at ball striking. We're looking at keeping it in the fairway. We're looking at good approach. I don't mind starting my my two big horses uh, in the 9K range as opposed to the 10K range. So, uh, Joel, it's your pick. But before we get there, give me a yes or no on Colin. 
That's a tough one for me. I'm, I'm in between. I think I'm a yes for Colin in a GPP or a big tournament. I'm going to be a no in a cash game or a smaller tournament. And uh, Spencer, commentary on Colin before we get to Joel's pick. I think that's a very fair assessment that Joel just gave there. Like, I'm not going to play him for cash for a plethora of reasons. I mean, we can even date back to the back spasms that he had there, yeah. which seems to hopefully be a thing of a, the past for him right now. But um, I'm not a Colin Morikawa person. I always say that. My model, anytime he cracks the top 10 for me, I always take note of it because I don't anticipate him being there. And for him being top 10, I think that that's, intriguing enough to where he should certainly be in consideration for a player pool. Uh, we have a question from Daniel. Is it Conyor, uh, who I know watched me earlier on the early wedge. He's asking about, you're asking about the Ekro versus sub at that's at Caesars, by the way. Uh, it's uh, real quick, Spencer uh, at Caesars. That bet is Ekro minus one thirty over Justin. Suh. Are you a yes or no on that one? I would be. Or, or out? No, I, I would lean the Ekroat side. Yeah, and Joel, how about you? Ekroat. Okay. Uh, Joel, it is your pick. Uh, what you got after the king, Scotty Scheffler? All right. Well, I think my strategy for playing Scheffler this week is going to be maybe one other guy that's kind of in the 8, 9K elite range, and I'm going to be pretty balanced off here. I don't need to dip too low. I think someone that's probably going to be chalky in the 6K range whose ball striking has just been elite, is Mark Hubbard. I mean, he has been playing great golf. He's another one that seems like a mm -hmm. mispricing in terms of how they've priced him. Totally. To get him in the 6K range with how good his ball striking has been and to be able to pair him with, a, obviously, the most expensive player in the field helps me kind of manage building out the rest of, of this squad. I agree that he's mispriced. Uh, Spencer, you usually have this sort of readily available. What should Mark Hubbard be priced according to your model? Do you have that readily available? Uh, if you give me one second, I can tell you. I it's asked him it's, as – go ahead. It's, it's going to be high. Um, 8,100. Jesus. Is that probably one of the biggest discrepancies on the slate for the Travelers? That would be – that would be the biggest discrepancy that I have on the slate. Wow. I mean, that tells you all you need to know. And because he's in the 6K range, listen, he is going to be, he's going to pick up some ownership, but the 6K guys never get like super high owned. So that that's kind of the good news. For some reason, we look at like 7,000 and it's a line of demarcation between that and, and everybody else below it. But like, that's really just kind of like super arbitrary, obviously. Um, but because of that, we're probably not going to see Mark Hubbard at like 10%. So, I mean, I think that's the good news there. I could be wrong, but I don't think it's going to trend. Uh, that high. I, I'm a fan of that pick uh, quite a bit. In fact, I think I have him in the top 40 market. Spencer, you got back-to-back -back picks. Patrick Cantlay starts. Who do we got next? I will say I, I'll take the over of Mark Hubbard of 10%. I, I think Mark Hubbard is going to be, I, I, I would not be shocked if he approaches like 15%. Wow. Um, I'm kind of happy that Joel did it because I was going to probably do it. And I'm not even meaning that in the bad way. I didn't necessarily want to start the lineup the way that I was going to start it. I'm going to take John Rom with this pick. And this is, and I don't think I needed to do this. I just want to lock it in just as like, if this is the way that I'm building and I'm going to take Rom and build it. I think a very common way that people might think is I can't lay Rom and then Hubbard becomes very simple to fit into the mix there. I think that's too common of a build, which is more of the reason why I talked about uh, not wanting Hubbard in this particular way that I'm doing this. But Rom was the golfer that I was talking about earlier where I think we've hit this weird moment with him right now 
to where he's not getting the credit that he deserves. Like the form is not exactly what you want. It's not Scotty Scheffler of what he's producing, but he made a run on Sunday at the U.S. Open. I think the ownership is lower than it should be. I think from an upside number, he's probably the second best play on the board from a win equity sense. I think Patrick Cantley is going to be very close to that, but I'll take two of my three win equity options and kind of just figure it out from there. This is not the route that I planned on taking, but uh, there's there's enough ways in this $6,000 lower $7,000 range. And it's not even necessarily through chalk that I think I can get different enough and still have enough players to hopefully try to round this out. Yeah. And before you pick your next guy, and for, for the record, I was debating between Colin Morikawa and John Rahm. And part of the reason I was willing to go a high 9K guy and potentially John Rahm or even Scotty Scheffler, because I would have done that. I actually like the 6K range quite a bit. And so I'm going to be willing to go into the 6K range maybe more this week than I normally would. I, I'm usually like not afraid to go in that range for better or for worse. But long story short, I think there's a lot. And part of the reason I don't think Hubbard is going to get to, let's say, you know, 10, 12 percent is because there's a lot like between, in my opinion, between like 6,500 and 6,900. I think there's a lot of guys that people are going to be somewhat interested in. So I think it's a good time to like load up on top and, and, and get a couple 6K guys in your lineup. If you're ever going to do that, I think this is the tournament to do it. Is that where you're going next? Because you do need a money saver player. Are you doing that now, Spencer? I'm not going to do it yet. I'm going to go more in the middle kind of with the budget that I have. And I am going to take Andrew Putnam at 7,200. I love where his game is trending. Uh, unfortunately, I had him last week for a top 40 at the U.S. Open at plus 225. He bogeyed the final, I believe, three holes to end up missing out on that total. So I didn't get there last week. I think a top 40 at plus 165 is another very intriguing way to consider him. But good course history here. The putter, the around the green game, the driving accuracy that he brings to the table, his bogey avoidance on some of these longer holes. He is the safest player that I have in my model of a guy who's a hundred to one or longer in this tournament. Uh, I think that's a really nice answer to be able to say that he's being paired next to a Cantley and a Rom type player. I see about six to 7% ownership on him. That's pretty popular for a lower $7,000 golfer, but I like the safety that he is at least on paper bringing here. Yeah, I, I think Putnam's a great play for all the reasons that you mentioned. Uh, Joel, it's your pick. You can feel free to comment on Putnam as to whether you're fading him or not, but I certainly think 7,200 is a pretty great price on him. Uh, where are you going with your next pick? And, of course, if you have a comment on Putnam, feel free. Yeah, I'm not overly high on Putnam. I like Putnam. Um, I do. I think for the reasons that Spencer said, uh, sometimes I'm just concerned about how much his upside is and if he's getting top 15 or 20, which is kind of what you need. Uh, but I think from a smaller tournament and, and a safety perspective, at 7,200, I think he's a great pick. All right. Wow. Where are you going after Hubbard and Scheffler? So with my pick here, I'm going with someone who probably has the best course history here in the field, and that's Brian Harmon. Brian Harmon has, in his last five tries, he's got four top tens on this course. And, you know, while his recent results haven't been as good as we would have liked out of him, the ball striking has been there. I mean, he gained four strokes on approach at the U.S. Open. He, things got away from him at the Memorial. But before that, the Charles Schwab, he gained three. At the PGA, he gained two. So with the ball striking there, you know, I, I have confidence in his around the green game and his putting. And to get him back on a course where that he's comfortable, that he, you know, really 
performs well historically, I think this is a really good spot at 7,500 to pick a player with some real upside. Yeah, I like it. I mean, listen, I'm not a Harmon guy, so I don't think I'm going to be playing much of him. Um, do you guys know what the ownership is looking like for Brian Harmon currently? Yeah, I see 11.7%. Yeah, I wonder if that... I wonder if that's going to grow a little bit, whatever. I mean, it's not like anything completely out of control, but you know, because of his course history, I expect that to tick up a little bit as, as the next 24 hours roll. Um, I'm probably just going to be looking to pivot off of him, but he does look like a pretty safe option. I, I got to admit, Spencer, are you a yes or no on Brian Harmon? Joel, you and I can call a truce on this now. I mean, if any person that is a friend of Brian Harmon is a friend of mine. <laughs> All right, I think I'm going chalk with my next pick, knowing that there's a good chance I'm going to go like crazy in the 6K range with one or two players. Uh, I, I don't think I can pass this guy up. This is like your classic 7K chalk, though. This is like the Mito Pereira situation all over again, where you see the metrics and you see the upside and you're like, man, how can I pass this guy up? But I'm going to do it anyway, because I think my lineup's going to be different enough. Uh, I got to think, uh, Spencer, there's a pretty big discrepancy in your model with this guy's price too. Other than the fact that he's relatively new to the tour. So maybe that hasn't been baked in as much as, as it should. But speaking of ball striking, holy smokes, Austin Eckrode at 7,300. I mean, he is just crushing it off the tee on approach. His short game hasn't been bad either. Uh, I, I think there's actual, and we, by the way, he contended in a tournament. I'm trying to remember which one it was, but it was just a few tournaments ago where he was playing on Sunday and he was sort of in the conversation. So I, I, again, he's going to be chalky. It's 7K chalk. It's the classic stuff you want to stay away from, but I don't mind having one chalky 7K guy in my lineup if the rest is going to be different. So just keep that in mind. Uh, Joel, yes or no on Austin Eckrode as we wait for the audience to nominate two guys. Definitely, yes. I think he's one of my favorite value plays. He's playing great. You get him at 7,300. I was planning to take him with one of my next picks, so I definitely like him. And Spencer, was I right about the discrepancy? 7,300, he should be higher? I had him proper at 77, but that's taking the overall look of it. Like, if I ran this more from a safety answer, you could bump that up a couple hundred bucks more. Like, he could be a real fringe 8,000 type golfer here. Gotcha. Uh, it looks like Shez Reevy and Ludwig Aberg have been nominated and ratified. I, I actually kind of like those picks. I don't know that I'm going to be on Ludwig this week, although I don't have a problem with him. I, I, I like Shez Reevy quite a bit. I like his price. I like his history. I like his recent form. It's not amazing, but he's getting it done. He's finding a way to, to finish decent. Uh, Shez Reby, I think is going to be a topic of conversation just because he's one of those guys in the upper 6k range that clearly has like you talked about great course history with Brian Harmon Joel I mean I think Shez Reby is at least the 6k version which is going to be lesser right of Brian Harmon so I mean I think there's something to be said if you think course history is sticky and all that stuff he seems like a great play so Joel real quick Reevy, did you notice him? I mean, you are you were looking at course history this week is this somebody that you were going to incorporate or did the metrics kind of throw you off a little bit? I like Chez for the 6K range. Um, if you're going to play someone at the 6.7, he's one of those guys I would look to. Um, but I am going to try and avoid going that low as much as possible. But with some of those lines where you do cram in Scheffler and some of these studs, I'll have some shares of Revy as well. All right. So I think uh, – and, and Spencer, I want to ask you, uh, either of Aberg or Revy, like either of those guys, would they be in your player pool? 
I was going to take Aberg with my next selection. Uh, as far as Revy is concerned, I have kind of large concerns about him solely because of the ownership. Like where with Hubbard, I am more willing to eat the chalk in that spot because of the upside, maybe upside is the wrong word for Hubbard, but like the overall rank of him being inside the top 20 for me, Revy doesn't have that same production. Like for Revy, it comes down to like, he's safe in my model. He has good safety numbers. I hate uh, low priced options that you're playing because of safety. I, I just think that that's where it runs into problems more so than anything else. That's totally fair. Um, what's also totally fair is I'm going to take one of my favorite guys. At least lately, he's been one of my favorite guys. And he's 6,500. And he missed the cut at the U.S. Open. Wasn't very good at all. But that was the U.S. Open. And his name is Carson Young. Always, He's always in the mid-6K range. And listen, he's been, other than the U.S. Open, you know, he's been making cuts. I think three of his uh, previous four he seems to me like a guy that that honestly probably should be 7,100. And I, I'm going to take the value here. The ball striking is great. You know, when you look at greens in regulation, tee to green, it's all very good. The putter's okay. Around the green, it, it has been an issue for him. But I think this is value here. And, and I like sort of the fact that, you know, Carson Young can be popular. You know, after a few weeks where he had his run, he was, he was, he was trending to some degree, but no, I don't see any ownership. Like I can't wait to see Stephen Pilardi's article tomorrow at windailysports.com because there's so many guys I'm really curious about, not in the upper range. Cause I think we have a really good idea of, you know, where the chalk is going to be in the, in the 10 K range, the nine K AK, even the seven K range. We know who some of those chalky guys are going to be like your Russell Henley's of the world. But I wonder if any of these guys are going to get more ownership. I'm seeing Carson Young at like 1%. Like I'll take that because I think he's a good golfer and he gives me tremendous uh, sort of pricing leverage. So I'm in on that um, real quick. Yes or no. Before we get to Joel's pick Spencer, yes or no on Carson. Like I kind of prefer this $6,000 route over the Revy answer there. Like I I'd rather take the upside shots with a Carson Young, a Ben Griffin and Andrew Novak. I think those are better names to where, I mean, what is Revy's upside really at this point? And I, and I know I'm saying that as somebody who took Putnam where I agree with Joel, like, I don't know what his upside necessarily is either, but we're also not talking about a $6,000 chalk option that might push 10%. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, Joel, it is your pick. Uh, give us your pick and just give us a yes or no on Carson. Yes on Carson. Um, and just quickly, I, I do want to add, Carson's a guy that's getting underpriced every week. He is just yes. better than this range. And so right now, until they adjust, I agree. He seems to be a guy that you should continue to plug and play at 6500 um, and I'm going to go with another guy that's a similar kind of story. He's continually getting underpriced every week. And he's getting disrespected. And I think it's because he's not a known name commodity in the golf space. And he's just coming onto the scene this year. So people haven't fully come around to it, but the results are there. And they've been there now consistently for the last couple of months. And that's Eric Holt. I mean, he has just been playing spectacular golf. To get him in the low 7K range is a misprice to me as well. Again, this is the type of guys I'm finding to pair with Scotty Sheffield where you can still get a competitive roster. So Cole is a easy choice for me here. Yeah, Cole strikes me as one of those guys that's like kind of a gamer. Like he just shows up and figures it out and, and scores and just will score for your DK lineup. I will say this, like he's played so many tournaments in a row. And I don't know if there's any correlation, but the ball striking seems to be tailing off just a little bit. And again, there might be zero correlation to him playing. And But it's just something to consider like, you know, 
for those of you that are looking at modeling and, and, and you know, take a look at, cause it almost seems weird to me that Eric Cole is playing so well, given his metrics, the metrics aren't bad at all. I just, I think maybe we might start to see a dip with Eric Cole. I don't know that it starts this week, but I just think it's something to at least uh, look out for Spencer. Yes or no on Cole. And then you got two picks to give us. I almost want to say no, because it's his ninth consecutive start. Um, I think statistically Eric Cole is a really good golfer. Like what he is producing, it does not seem like a flash in the pan situation. Um, Joel has also done a good job. Like when you look at Harmon and Cole, like if I'm looking at $7,000 golfers, they're the third and fourth best as far as value goes in the $7,000 range. So, um, I mean, Joel's obviously added a bunch of nice value to his team. I guess like the only negative would be ownership plus a lot of starts, but that hasn't stopped him recently. He's still been good. Yeah, very true. All right, Spencer, you've got two picks. You got Cantley and Rom to start, which is pretty awesome. You got Andrew Putnam. Who's next? I mean, unfortunately, now it gets gross kind of fast. Like I would have liked Aberg. I would have considered Eric Cole. I don't know if I would have gone down that route and actually done it, but you reach a certain point where the value just becomes too good to pass up when you're trying to compare him to other names here. I guess with the first name, I'm really surprised at the ownership that I see on him. I know the form looks absolutely atrocious. We can date this back to the Byron Nelson. It's just kind of bad, 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 bad all, all the way through with it. But, I mean, there's a reason why this guy, whether it's you, Sia, or it's Nick, or whoever the person was, I know it wasn't me. Whoever called him TPC Lee first. I mean, we're at a TPC property. He grades well in my model. You get a lot of those upside metrics that I'm talking about with the weighted T to green season improvement, uh, the specific surface we see an improvement. The TPC properties, he's inside the top 30. Um, he's a good par five scorer. You only have two here, but I think it's important to score. And then he gets this jump in weighted proximity. So I like KH Lee. I love the ownership that we have. I worry about the overall safety that he brings to the table. But like to me, this is a good way to try to at least take a shot here. He's icy two and a half percent right now. We've seen him pop at TPC properties before. I assume most people aren't going to like him, but that kind of comes with the territory where like he's 2% owned. Nobody's playing him. Like I kind of understand. And anybody who doesn't like the KH Lee play, trust me, the next play is getting worse than that. <laughs> Can't wait. What's next? All right. So I'm going to start with KH Lee there. And then I am going to go up on the price scale to a golfer that is even more volatile right now with some of the production that he has put together. Two missed cuts in the past three. Don't necessarily think he's looked great either, but I like him at these short courses. I like him on this green type. He has a lot of the same upside metrics that I talked about with Cage Lee. Uh, Seamus Power, 7,400. Yeah, I, you know, I took a look at Seamus Power when I started my research what, Sunday night. And for whatever reason, I, I sort of looked off of him. And I don't know if it was just my bias, like I just don't play Seamus Power. Can you like tell, like sell us on Seamus Power? Low ownership. I mean, I think that's a really good start to it. The course history, everybody's always so into course history. And we're talking about a golfer that's made four consecutive cuts here uh, in his four tries, including back-to-back -back top 25 finishes. You have the boomer bust nature, which you have to worry about a little bit, but the boomer bust answer isn't quite so bad when we're talking about sub 5% with the ability to be able to putt on these greens with the ability. He's fourth in my model in strokes gain total at short courses. That's where the upside, and I, and I think sometimes, and this goes for everybody in the space, like I think we get a little too reliant on 
either course history and, and it just so happens in this case, like nobody's recognizing the course history. So it plays to my benefit, like to try to attack them there since we know this is a pronounced venue that does return course history here. I just think that some of the times the current form gets marginally overweight. Like I would not think of a U.S. Open or some of these other venues as necessarily the best. Like I had a top 40 on Sheamus last week. I'm not saying that it was a bad tournament for Sheamus, but this is a much different feel of a tournament for him. That's a much better course fit. I don't necessarily want to overweigh some of these recent miscuts that he's put together. Like there's enough data that likes the upside that he presents. He's not overly grading on my model to where it's like all of a sudden he's popping off the page, but he's top 40 or fringe 40 in a lot of these names and a lot of these sections that I'm looking at where when I have started so aggressively at the top, like you kind of have to pick and choose your spots here. And it's a different build than I was expecting. Cause I was kind of ex- anticipating going your route, see it to where, you know, take a 9,000 or 10,000 or whatever it is, and then find a $6,000 golfer to open up salary to kind of jump back into a certain point into the eight thousands. I didn't go that route here. I kind of have a lot of these random $7,000 golfers, but I think Seamus has legitimate top 10 or 20 upside here. He also has a ton of missed cut potential, but you kind of have to weigh at the pros and the cons there. Yeah, fair enough. All right, Joel, it's your pick. Before I mean, before you make your pick, uh, feel free. Uh, l- just let us know. I mean, I think it, it makes sense that KH Lee isn't in a lot of people's player pools, and and I actually think it's a really smart play by Spencer, um, given his you know what he's been doing on TPC courses historically. But KH Lee was pretty good not that long ago. You know what I mean? Like he was on a nice little run. So in this on this particular course, I think KH Lee can be just fine. I don't mind the power play. I don't think I'm going to play either of them, but I don't. I don't hate either of those plays. Joel, any, just give us a yes or no on, on those two and then tell us your pick. Oh, by the way, everybody in the chat, hit the like button and type in the chat real quick who you think is going to win the tournament before it gets to your nominations because then, then that'll be confusing. Um, like button, who do you think is going to win the tournament? I'll just add quickly, KT is a great example of a guy who maybe is not the safest but does have upside. If he puts together a good week, he'll get you that top 10, that upside. That's what you're looking for in these GPPs. So from a tournament perspective, I likely – Power was a guy I looked by. I ended up not going with, but I think for the reasons you know Spencer stated, he's a guy that's going to be lower owned with upside. I think it does make sense here. Yeah. Um, All right. Your your pick for my pick here. I'm going to go with my strategically with my higher priced pick first, knowing that that's who we see on the audience are going to be more budgeted toward, and that's the guy who's playing as well as almost anyone in the world right now hmm. at nine at a pretty discounted price. Tommy Fleetwood. I mean, Don, that's seeing, who I was taking. Nice pick. What Shoot. we're seeing from Tiny Fleetwood right now over the last couple of weeks, I mean, he's playing unreal. His ball striking, and, and Tommy Fleetwood's not necessarily known to be an elite ball striker, but the ball striking's been there. He's striking the heck of the ball, and he's a great short game. He's got a great putter. You can rely on that with Tommy. If you marry that with ball striking, it's really starting to feel like he's due for a win on the PGA Tour. Maybe it's this week. Oh man, my lineup was going to be really good with Tommy Fleetwood. I was going to get him. It would have left me with 7,500. I would have had a lineup, just so everybody knows. It would have been Victor, Colin, and Fleetwood, the two guys I have, Eckrode and Carson Young, with 7,500 to spare. I just think some of you should put that lineup in, is all I'm saying. Um, I like Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, I'm not super psyched about playing him for some reason. And I think it's just because I plan on playing more of Colin and uh and Hovland but he's a great play in my opinion Spencer what about you what do you think 
Yeah, I mean, he he seventh in my model, fifth for safety. Um, I, I much prefer him over some of these routes in the nine thousand dollars section. Like, just to name a couple players, I know we try not to do it on the show, but mm-hmm. um, like, I would rather play Fleetwood than Wyndham Clark. Uh, I think Wyndham Clark's going to be more popular. I'd rather play Fleetwood than Ricky Fowler. I don't think the ownership's going to be vastly different there. Um, I, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to do something crazy and just hope I get lucky with my last pick because Joel ruined my plans. I, I like, listen, I, I think I had the winning team. This is why we love the draft cast, right? He stole my player. He made the right strategic move because he saw how much money I had left and how much money the audience had left. And so good pick. So you ruined my day, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to just double down. You, you want to take a $9,300 Tommy Fleetwood? Well, I'm going to take a, 10,400 Xander Schauffele. And I think it leaves me with 6,400. So that's why I kind of have to get lucky. I have a couple guys in mind, but I have a little bit of time before I make that pick. That's what I'm doing. Xander's the defending champion here. Uh, That doesn't mean a lot to me other than the fact that he's probably going to be motivated to to show up. I mean, and, and I only say that because he's coming off like, you know, kind of a bad weekend, US Open. He could be kind of you know, a little down, maybe his foot is, is not on the, on the pedal here, but because he's the defending champion, I, I think he is going to show up and play classic Xander Schauffele golf, which is really good, by the way, you know, great ball striking. I'm not too afraid of the, of what happened with the driver on Saturday. Uh, I, I think he's got, he's still got plenty to prove. I don't expect him to win this tournament, but I like him in my lineup right here, even though he's super pricey. Um, we're going to go to the audience. They're nominating right now. But yes or no on, again, I wasn't planning on taking him, full disclosure. I was going to take Fleetwood. So I'm not in love with this pick. But Spencer, yes or no on uh, Xander Shoffley? See, I think this is a really interesting game theory sort of a lineup that you've put together here. Because if we want to say that Ekrod is too popular, which I mean, I think is a fair thing. Like he's probably too popular on, mm-hmm. on where he's at right now. All of a sudden, when you go Xander, Hovland, Morikawa, like you've differentiated a lineup so much to when you can like get unique or, or play the chalk with Ekrod and that. So I think for your specific build, like, I don't know how you're going to wrap this up. Yeah. I like, I like your lineup. I just don't know what the last pick is, but I, I like the strategy. I think it's unique and different. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's, Listen, I got to get lucky with the 6K guy, but I think I have a ton of win equity locked up in in at least three of these guys. And, and that's ultimately what I'm looking for. And I think there's really good made cut equity across the board until I get to my last pick. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Um, Rory's a loser, says Corey. That must be a, a D-Gen <laughs> fan right there, D-Gen 75 fan. All right, did you all nominate two guys already? I apologize. I haven't been paying attention to the chat. I see Rom. I see a lot of Rory and Tom Kim. Did uh, Rory must have been one of the picks? Is, was it Rory and Tom Kim that the audience ultimately nominated here? I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Yep, Rory and Tom Kim. All right, what did that leave them with? Like 500 on the table? Yeah. I think this is a good lineup, guys. I I, I really do. I mean, Tom Kim is is going to be pretty popular along with Russell Henley. Decky's going to pick up some ownership. Aberg though, not so much. It, there's a little chalk chalkiness here, guys, but. Rory's not particularly chalk. No, Rory's kind of like on the lower. I think this lineup is kind of great. Joel, what say you about team audience? I like it. I think they put together a really good lineup. I think the, the first, the thing that stood out to me, like you said, it does seem it might be a little chalky, but I think between Aberg, Reeve, maybe a little, it's who a Reeve comes out as and Rory, they'll be okay. I, I like the lineup. Yeah. 
Uh, Spencer, what do you think about the lineup as I stall? I, I have higher ownership percentages on a lot of the players uh, than everybody else might. So to me, the lineup is extremely chalky. Um, I think there's ways to play the lineup the way that it is. And if you change Revy for somebody else, I would like the lineup a lot more. Um, so I guess like my answer, whether or not Revy succeeds is another question. Like I'm not saying he's not going to, but I think if you get rid of Revy and you replace him with somebody, that's a, an intriguing lineup where at least the audience grabbed a lot of the values. Like Henley's one of the better values. I think Hideki's a really good value. Aberg was a good value. I, I, Tom Kim started at like 70 to one and all of a sudden he's been bet all the way down. So obviously people think he's a good value, not necessarily on Rory this week. Don't hate the play, but um, I, I think it's a fine lineup, just a little too chalky for me. And I am out of time. I was going to take Lucas Glover. Because uh, his ball striking has been great. We know the story on Lucas Glover is he just can't putt. And then I was going to take Tyler Duncan. Uh, it just has not been good for Tyler Duncan. But he he does have decent history here. I can't go Tyler Duncan. So I think I'm going to go. I got to check one other guy. Somebody tell a joke or something. I'm going to check Adam Long. Because I haven't looked at him. And he seems like he might be a decent option. No, he's not. All right. So at 6,400, I'm going to go with my gut. I am going to go with, ouch, this is going to hurt, Robbie Shelton. Robbie Shelton at 6,400. Listen, he's one of those guys that I feel like, I don't want to say like hit or miss because the hit's going to be, you know, not great. But like we've seen Robbie Shelton flash here and there for four rounds, not so much. So you're just kind of hoping Robbie Shelton flashes for two rounds, right? He makes the cut. doesn't do too much damage to your lineup on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, I mean, guys, any thoughts, Joel, I'll go to you first. I mean, Robbie Shelton, does it inspire any confidence whatsoever? Well, I mean, he's not in my player pool, but for someone being stuck in that range and trying to find someone that you can fit into your lineup, I like Robbie Shelton of the choices that you have. Yeah, it, it, it honestly, James Hahn would have been the other direction I would have gone. Maybe Scott Stallings, because he is he's actually got some decent history here too. But Spencer, any thoughts on Robbie Shelton? If I was in your spot there where I was forced into a 6,400 or less player, it probably would have either been Robbie Shelton or Lanto Griffin. Oh, Lanto's down there. I didn't even see him. Um, all right. Well, then I feel like kind of okay about uh, the Robbie Shelton pick. Uh, Joel, you've got one pick left. By the way, when we finish here, for those of you that are new to the show, um, we do our first round leaders, which we hit again last week. So uh, stay tuned for that. We're going to bring the board down. We're going to do two minutes worth of first round leaders, and then we're going to get out of here. Uh, Joel, who do you got for your last pick? All right. Well, I'm excited about my last pick. I'm going to take a player who uh, is going to leave $500 on the table for me. I'm not going to use all my salary. I'm going to take Christian Bizetendu, who, in my opinion, has been playing really well this season. And while because the field is pretty loaded, I think there's Bezayden has a ton of upside. I've actually already made an outright bet on him, and it's my biggest outright bet of the year. Wow, two hundred fifty to one. Wow, strong words. All right, Spencer, any thoughts on Cbez before you give your last pick? I, I do kind of have some reasonably good thoughts on him here. So, I. I talk a lot about recalculated numbers and how I run course specific data for these venues. Any any random course out there, Bazaid and how 86th in strokes gain T to green. You put them on this course for me, 16th overall. It's the biggest jump I had in my entire model. Wow. That is very interesting. 
Very interesting. All right, Joel's smiling. Uh, Spencer, you got one pick left before we do our first round leaders. Uh, Cage Lee, Seamus Power, uh, two plays that I don't think a lot of people are going to have in their player pool, which makes your lineup very tournament worthy. Uh, who's going to finish it off? I saw that Ed asked about Hostler. Yes. Like, like to me, this comes down to either Hostler or probably Brendan Todd. Um, I feel like I always go the Brendan Todd route and I never play Hostler. And anytime I've ever used Hostler for one of these builds, he has missed the cut. Like it's been without question with it. I do think I'm going to go with him though. And it just comes down to me. Like it's another spot for me to grab exposure. I have Hostler in a head to head matchup against Sam Stevens this week. Uh, I grabbed that at minus 115. I'm more so out on Stevens than I am in on Hostler, but you know, Hostler's weighted proximity is going to be bad no matter where you put it. But that's almost a good thing. Like, yeah, you have this concentrated data that comes in from 125 to 175 at this course. Some players like Stevens get worse. Some players like Hostler are just bad everywhere. And with him being bad everywhere, that's not even a negative. It's like he has the putter. He has the around the green game. He's not going to necessarily have those problems. And he has such a good around the green game that on these smaller than average greens, I'm hoping that he'll be able to scramble if everybody is missing greens and regulation here. I don't necessarily love this pick. It's not the route I was planning to go. I would make an argument that my model thinks Brendan Todd is the play here, but I, I don't know. See, this is a very weird lineup that I was not anticipating. Well, last week we weren't anticipating a lot of the players on our squads either. And that turned out really well for pretty much all of us. So uh, I, listen, this is a very unique build. I mean, plain and simple. Uh, can't lay Rom Putnam. I mean, those aren't super unique, uh, but the last three really are. So if, if those three guys end up making the cut and popping, then that lineup, you know, to the moon potentially. So I like the, I like the construction regardless. Um, I think it's time, Joel. Let's do it. I'm going to bring the draft board down while I do so. Feel free. Let's see you said. Hit the like button. Give us a follow. We'll be posting the lineups on Twitter. Let us know whose lineup you think is going to win. We'll come back and recap it, and we're going to talk smack, as we always do, but we're not done yet. We still have our first-round leader market, which is going to be an especially exciting one this week because there's some really long odds, guys, that yeah. frankly have a shot. So let's get right into it, Spence. Who are you looking at in the first-round leader market? So I didn't go all the way down the board here. I did take a specific strategy that I was trying to look for. I wanted these high-end golfers that had drifted too far down the board, in my opinion. That would be a Tony Finau for me at 45 to 1, Sung J M at 60 to 1. Those are the only two first-round leader bets that I have at this point. I do think you can go deeper than that, but like I mean, like the one thing to me is this is a designated event. It doesn't mean that somebody can't pop for one day, but there's a lot of names here. Um I, I don't know. I mean, this isn't like the tournament and C is going to give us the winner here in a second. So we'll hear what Sia has to say, but I, I'm not looking to be overly exposed for my first round leader card. Like yeah. It. And for the record, I think because there are a lot of guys, especially in the morning, if that ends up being the advantage that, that are super long, I mean, you could really just like sprinkle like half of what you would normally put on the first round leaders and, 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 and just on some of those long shots or some of those guys 
Spencer, to your credit, that that drifted down the board. And that would be like a huge payout. So just something to consider. Like, obviously, you don't want to ever put too much money in the first round leader market unless it's for the lock button pick. But I just wanted to point that out. There are a lot of long odds guys that you can just put literally put a few bucks on and it can it can return you like three fifty, four hundred dollars. Something to think about. Yeah. And I think that's the exciting part about a week like this with some of these super long odds is you can put a sprinkle a few bets and a couple bucks and all of them will be a fun win because of the number. So my first one, I already talked about and mentioned Cbez at 130 to one. Uh, another guy I drafted, obviously I like my guys this week, Brian Harmon at 70 to one. He likes the course, certainly a place where he can heat up. Um, and then as we go up, we kind of the more to the favorites, I'm going to mention Max Homa at 55 to one. Obviously, his game's not in a great place, but 55 is a pretty long number for someone of his talent. And my last play is going to be Tom Kim at 50 to one. Homa like fits that. that general narrative that I was talking about with Sung Jay and Finau. It's just these guys that have drifted a little bit too far for their talent level. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I'm debating my lock button between two guys. And one of them really fits that profile Spencer quite well. So maybe I'll end up deferring to him. So I'll start with my long shot guys. Uh, Austin Eckrow at 75 to one. Lee Hodges at hundred to one. Andrew Putnam at hundred to one. Shez Reavy at hundred and ten to one. So these are like obviously extreme long, long shots. This is what I was talking about. You could literally put a couple bucks and it would be a huge pan. I almost put Kevin Streelman in there at 130 to one. So just kind of consider that since we're taking so many long shots anyway, um, you can obviously take more players if, if they're like at triple digit odds than you would if you're taking guys that are 20 to one and 30 to one. So Eckroat, Hodges, Putnam, Reeby, consider Streelman if you feel like it. Uh, but the lock button play, which we hit last week. I mean, everybody watched the, Everybody here watched the show last week, right? You heard what I said about Xander Shopley. I literally said, yes, I literally said it was the lock button play. And he had to share with Ricky. But Xander doesn't mind sharing. I don't mind sharing. 35 to 1 became 1750 to 1, whatever. I'll take it. Uh, this week, if we split, it's going to be right around that 35 to 1 range because this guy who has been hot and who has shaken off a neck injury is going to be your first round leader at the Travelers. No, it's not Matthew Fitzpatrick, it's Hideki Matsuyama. At 55 to one, he will be your first round leader at the Travelers. It's Tuesday, so we're telling you, we're not predicting the future, we're telling you the future. Your first round leader at the Travelers, 2023. It's going to be Hideki Matsuyama, 55 to one. Book it. Let's go. See, as someone said, you actually, for this tournament, traveled in time to tell you who the first. So there you go. It's on brand, on theme with the Travelers tournament. That's wow. what we do for you. Wow. Put it in, lock it in, come back Thursday night. We'll celebrate our winnings. We'll count our cash. It's another fun tournament. We are in the swing of things for PGA season, prime season. When the picks are hot, when we got things flowing, it's time to get on board. We got there this week. See, what am I missing? You're missing the ownership article tomorrow at windailysports.com. Also below this, whatever you're watching this on, right below the screen is uh, a link to our giveaway. Uh, it, it's a giveaway for a year of gold gold membership access to windailysports.com. And that's not just for golf, right? That's for football season, which is coming up in like 75 days. And every other sport we do, MLB, NBA, hockey, like literally you name it, uh, we do it. So so click on that link. Uh, I know David uh, tweeted something out, the Windailysports.com. 
uh, Twitter account, David Bielewski's Twitter account. I retweeted it. So you can find it on Twitter as well. Just retweet it, follow David, and you'll be in the drawing. Um, other than that, I, I can't wait for the ownership article. I can't wait for all the picks that we're going to put into the Wind Daily Sports Discord. And there might be a weather edge. So that's something that we're going to talk about um, tomorrow night in the Wind Daily Sports Discord. The only other thing that I forgot is, what is it again? Oh, that's right. It's sports. 